So today's sermon is called What is True Courage? It's from Mark chapter 15 verses 40 through 47. So we're going to finish up chapter 15 of Mark today. All right, uh, what is true courage? Well, I'm going to start out with a little story. When I was uh, just graduated from high school, so I was 18 years old, and I got in my car and I drove out to like uh, California and I showed up at the Bible College, Calvary Chapel Bible College out there, and I said, can I work here and live here? And they said yes. And um, so pretty quick, I ended up living there on campus during the summer before college and but what they did is they they took they we took a bus up to Twin Peaks to do construction work every day Monday through Friday so the bus would leave at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. we would get it was a two-hour drive there and a two-hour drive back so we'd get up there about seven we'd work till about four we'd get back around six and then we'd have our evenings well uh when I was up there I met a guy so I had a, a really good friend named Jason who we were best friends and uh we were hanging out all day every day but then there was this other guy who was older. He was maybe 35, um, and his name was Sam. And he was one of the most unique characters I've ever met. Um, he, this guy, he was always talking about Jesus, okay? Always talking about Jesus. Um, well, let me back up. He also really liked to talk about all the terrible things that he used to do. Um, he all the things he had been delivered from, okay? And so he talked a lot about drugs and the women and the gangs and all these things in Southern California that he had been delivered from. And, but he was very, very, very passionate, charismatic guy. So he's just always talking. Uh, he was always praying. He was always, you know, closing his eyes and hands in the air and really passionate. Uh, and, and he would always be talking about his times of prayer and telling us. And it seemed like he was kind of encouraging us talking about he was talking about praying in the shower you know he was always talking about that and he was just having a holy ghost shower and he would talk about you know that lots of talk he was always talking about the holy spirit you know um he was always talking he was always kind of yelling about spiritual things and um he was always talking about how we should all be on fire and how we should all be excited about the spiritual things that he was talking about. Um, and and as an 18-year-old kid, I was really impacted by this guy. I was impressed. And I thought that this guy was what I should be like. I, I thought that he was... I thought that he was someone I should look up to. Uh, because he was always kind of talking about things. He was always on fire. He... He made me feel, in truth, he made me feel not as good as him, not as spiritual as he was. Um, I didn't feel as holy as he was. I didn't feel as blessed or filled with this fire of the Holy Spirit's power that he talked about all the time. I was just kind of even keel, kind of like I am now. But I tried to be like him for a few weeks. I was... I was like, okay, I'm gonna. I'm, if this is what a mature, strong Christian is, then I'm gonna try to do this. And this is before I learned about grace and trying and all this stuff that we talk about all the time. But I always, as I was trying and I was trying to be this person, I always hit a roadblock in my heart. This roadblock, okay. And it was like God was not going to bless my efforts to be super hype, mega. Sonic Jesus fire guy. 
That was not what God wanted in my life. And he was not blessing it. He was not, he was not allowing it to take root and, and be who I was. Now, I want to just ask you guys, and you guys can answer in the chat or whatever, but what do you think happened to this guy? What do you think happened to this on fire, you know, super hyper mega sonic Jesus guy? Um, I'll give you a couple seconds to think about what Sam turned into. A few weeks later, give you a couple more seconds to think about it. A few weeks later, Sam fell off the wagon, which means he went back to the drugs, the women, the alcohol, and he went back to living his sinful, drug-filled, you know, flesh-pleasing life. And I was left considering a few things. I was still working up there, but... You know, one day everyone's like, hey, where's, where's Sam at? And someone's like, oh, well, he got arrested for doing this and he's back to doing that. And I was left considering a few things. My first question was, what was wrong with this guy? What was wrong? I thought he was someone to be emulated. I thought he had real spiritual pizzazz that I really looked up to. I thought he was on fire for God and yet this guy, you know, failed terribly and went back to basically denying God and living a life like that. So what's the point of being on fire for God was one of my questions I had. You know, I saw him read the Bible and I saw him pray passionately. And so I had to consider if that is not what produces a good faithful, enduring Christian life, then what is? What am I supposed to be? What, what is wrong with this situation? You know, all, this is why we aren't supposed to raise up leaders in the church quickly, by the way. Um, they need to be tested as to whether their spiritual life is real and lasting, or whether it's fake and just emotion. And God helps us by uh, revealing our inner character as we go through trials. So, this changes the way that we can think about trials. Instead of trials being something bad that we're going through, and something that uh, we wish would never have happened to us, many times trials are brought into our life to reveal what is on the inside. And sometimes it's not something we want to see, and so we shove it back down, and we have a lot of doubts, and we have a lot of uh, sinfulness still on the inside. But if we allow the trials to do their work, we can actually draw closer to Jesus, and we can see our need, we can sense our need for him more. When we go through a trial, and we see that maybe we're not all that we were cracked up to be, maybe we're not as on fire as we thought we were. So, Sam, my friend, I don't know whatever happened to him, uh, but I do know that he is a lesson for me that God is not looking for these on-fire uh, expressions of spirituality. But real, true spirituality is much, much deeper. 
It's something that grips us deep inside and it bears fruit, lasting fruit, fruit that pleases God, fruits of humility and and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and all the things that are not produced by reading the Bible super hard or praying super passionately. Those things are not the source of spiritual life, but simple faith in Christ is. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at the scriptures we're going to look at. So, speaking of, let's go ahead and read Mark chapter 15, verses 40 through 47. It says, There were also women looking on from afar. So let me set our story. Jesus has just died on the cross. He's breathed his last, and the word he said was to telestai, which is, it is finished or paid in full. Everything is done. And the centurion, the Roman in charge of the crucifixion, looked and he considered Jesus and he thought about him and he said, you know what? This is the Son of God. And that centurion had a heart change about uh, Jesus. Well, Mark gives us a few other characters that we're going to look at. The first is this. There was also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and of the less and of Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Now, when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, this is our next character, Joseph, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, I'll underline those words, went in to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and he laid him in a tomb which he which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid now those two women are going to come back soon and honor Jesus more with some better burial spices and traditional uh, stuff that they would do to bodies to honor them. So that's why that was put in there. All right. So there's our text for today. Now I'm gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna dive into it and see why we're talking about courage because all of these characters really show us actually a lot of courage and help us to understand what courage is. But first, we need to understand crucified victims, criminals who had been crucified, were generally not treated well. They weren't buried. In fact, the normal way that a body of a crucified victim would be handled is that they would rip it off of the cross, then they would take it over to this dump called Gehenna, and they would toss it on this burning pile of trash called Gehenna. It was, it was a, a valley on the side of Jerusalem where they would put all their trash. And uh, it was an incredibly disrespectful and dishonorable end to the life of any criminal. Um, 
But these characters that we're going to study today, you know, they're going to honor Jesus by giving him a proper burial, which is going to honor God and please God and make the Father happy, do his will. And it's going to actually fulfill prophecy. You see, Jesus couldn't go to Gehenna in that way. He couldn't be thrown on the trash heap because Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich, but with the rich at his death. So what that means is that he would be buried in a tomb uh, by other people. Um, so there was this prophecy that Jesus would have a grave, that he would be buried, and if he was just tossed on the cra- uh, trash heap, then that wouldn't happen. Uh, so God knew what was going to happen, and he made it happen in this way. Just This is one of those other fulfilled prophecies that uh, help us to understand that God was in charge of the whole thing, and God gives us this prophecy so that we know that he authored the Bible, he authored every word, and it is true more than anything in this world, more than any scientific proof you could ever understand or see. The Bible is more true, because the very author of truth wrote it, and he gives us these undeniable texts that uh, prophesy and fulfill prophecies. It's pretty amazing. All right, well, moving on. We're going to talk about these characters, and we're going to just look at what the text tells us about these characters first. The first character we're going to look at is the women. Okay, so we have Mary, Mary, probably a few other people named Mary, because it seems to be the only name uh, around back then. Well, there was Mary, Mary, Salome, and others, it says. And these, we are told that they were faithful to follow Jesus through anything, and no matter where he went, they just followed him. Okay, so that's the the character traits of these characters. They follow Jesus. Another thing that they do is they minister to him. They care about him. Uh, they are they're looking at him. They're staying close to him. You can't minister to someone from afar, and so they are always just kind of in the area with their eyes on him, and if he needs a cup of water, <clears throat> they are right there with a cup of water to uh, minister to him. All right, so that's the first character. The second character that we see in this text is Joseph of Arimathea. This guy was a prominent council member. The council was called the Sanhedrin, and this was the group of Jews that basically ran the country of Israel. Now, they weren't in charge of everything because Rome was occupying Israel, but they were in charge of all the Jewish people, you could say. And he was one of those members of that council. And he, it says that he was waiting for the kingdom of God, which means this guy was great. This guy uh, had faith. This guy was, he knew God. He, he knew about God's plan. And, uh, and he had faith that God was going to work out his plan. And it says right in our text that he had courage. And this is our first mention of the word courage. And it says that his courage was worked out or played out in a way that he asked for the body of Jesus so that he could honor this body. He could do God's will by wrapping the body in linen and spices. And then he laid Jesus in a tomb and he rolled a stone so that no one could defile it. Uh, And then I'm going to give you a bonus character. Bonus character number one. You ready for our bonus character? His name is Nicodemus. Okay, now Mark doesn't tell us about Nicodemus, 
But John, in his gospel, does in chapter 19, verse 38. He's talking about this same circumstance. And he says in John 19, 38 through 40, he says, Now after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, here's our bonus character, who was at first, who at first came to Jesus by night. You remember Nick at night? He was the guy who came in John chapter 3 and asked Jesus, how can someone be born again? And Jesus told him. So Nicodemus also came bringing a, a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. That's a, this is a great sacrifice. This is a Wonderful, honoring thing. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in stripes of, uh, strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. I'm going to give you another bonus character that's not mentioned by Mark. This is our last bonus character. Bonus character number two is Peter. And I bring up Peter because... He is nowhere to be seen. He's a character that is conspicuous by his absence. Where is Peter? Peter just claimed to be the greatest disciple of all time. I will never deny you. I would die for you, Jesus. You remember all those bold statements of Peter? Well, now, bonus character number two, Peter, is nowhere to be seen He is hiding. He's hiding. He has no idea what to do. He has just failed and denied Jesus three times. And it's pretty shocking to see these women are here. These women are faithful. Joseph of Arimathea is here. He is faithful. Nicodemus is here and he's faithful. But Peter, Jesus' bestie, is nowhere to be seen. He's a little bit like Sam, the guy from my story. He talked a big game, but he's nowhere to be seen when things get difficult. I'm going to read you a quote from a guy whose last name is Gelden Huys, and I don't have any idea if I pronounced that correctly, but credit to where credit is due. This quote says, In the hours of crisis, it is often the Peter's who have sworn loyalty to Jesus with big gestures and fullness of self-confidence that disappoint. And it is the secret and quiet followers of the Master, like Joseph, Nicodemus, and the women, that do not hesitate to serve him in love at whatever cost. What a beautiful quote. What an amazing quote. Peter, with all of his courage, with with all of his self-confidence and false courage, he doesn't have the courage to serve Jesus when it gets difficult. What is courage? This is our, our topic of the day. What really is courage? The Bible says that Joseph had courage. The Bible does not say that Peter had courage. The Bible says Peter was gone, hiding, not courage. Okay? I asked my boys this week as we were driving down the road, I said, what 
is courage. What do you guys think courage is? And this was their response. Courage, dad, is when you, when you can ask a girl out when you're scared. That was their definition of courage, and they're horrified that I just shared that with you all, but it's all right. No, that's actually not the definition of courage. That that might be to a 16-year-old boy. That might be what courage kind of looks like to you, but the Bible says something different about courage. The Bible shows us with these characters we're looking at today that courage is not about looking inside yourself to find the gumption, the bravery to do something hard. Courage is something else. What is it? How did they get it? How did these characters get it? Where does it come from and how can I get some? And what will happen if I do have courage? And what will happen if I don't find courage? Well, the first thing we need to know about courage is that it is something in the heart. It's not something deep inside you, in your flesh, that you need to discover. It is something that is placed in the heart. It's like a a tree or a plant that is planted in your heart and grows That's how I want you to think about courage, not something that you need to find like a missing baseball glove in your garage or something like that. And when something is hard, the loud and the prideful guys always seem to disappear. Now, some people are loud in a good way, but most of the time in Scripture, the people who are loud and boastful are prideful And when the real difficult trials come, they always disappear. But in Scripture, we see, just like in what we're seeing here, that the quiet and the humble, those are the people that seem to be the ones stepping up when there's an extreme difficulty, when there's something to be done. Think of Gideon and what he did in the Old Testament. This right here, this moment in time where, the, where, where Jesus has been crucified and his body's hanging on the cross, this is the hardest time to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. He was just killed. The Jews hate him. The Romans hate him. His own friends, his own best friends have all abandoned him. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, this moment in time, the end of Mark chapter 15, is literally the hardest time to be his follower yet in history. No one is cheering these people on. Nobody. Nobody saying, good job, you're an example to all of us. No. No one is holding a following Jesus conference with rocking music and a great motivational speaker at this point in time. No. No one is pumping them up. No one is encouraging their emotions to follow Jesus and to obey God. Nobody is. Nobody's asking for a new commitment, a renewed vision, a better plan. A more sincere promise. 
Nobody's doing any of that. Yet, we seem to see a lot of those things in the church today. Why? Well, the honest truth is that all of those things are generally sourced in the flesh and they're not true courage. Because these characters that we're studying had true courage and they didn't need any of those things to get it. They didn't need a pumped up rocking speaker to fill them with courage. They didn't need someone praying with passion for courage. They didn't need a renewed commitment for courage. Because, here's the main truth I want you to get today. Listen to this. Listen very carefully. Courage does not come from you. It does not come from your flesh. It is not sourced in flesh in any way. So how can I tell if my life has courage or not? Well, let's look at some of the evidence from our text, okay? First, let's start with Peter. Peter was loud about his courage. He was boasting about it. I'm brave. I'm strong. I'll never leave you. I'll never disappoint you. I'll never deny you. I'm more holy. I'm more chosen than all of you. I'm the one God approves of the most. Okay, now take that attitude and ask yourself, does that describe me? Do I think that I have courage? Do I think that I am going to be successful because of who I am? Am I loud? Do I consider myself strong? Do I try to rally myself to do the right thing? Do I make new commitments? Lord, today I'm never going to do that. Today I'm going to do this. Today, Lord, is going to be the day. Do I talk a big game? We're going to change the world, friends. These are all self-based, self-sourced, emotionally driven courage things. And they just don't work when it comes to true courage, spirit-powered courage. It doesn't matter, guys, get this, it doesn't matter if you want to do the right thing. Lots of people want to do the right thing. And those same people generally don't do the right thing most of the time. We think, man, if I just wanted to be a better Christian more, you know what your problem is? I hear, I, hear, I hear conference speakers, you know what your problem is? You just need to want God more. Our problem is that we don't want his holiness and his righteousness. And we just, if we just wanted it more, we would have it. It's not whether you want it that God is looking for. It's, it's the source of your Rightness. It doesn't matter if you want to be right. It's how are you going to be right? How are you going to source that righteousness? Are you going to source it? There's only two places you can get righteousness, from self or from the spirit. 
from flesh or from the spirit. And so it's very, very, very vital and important that we consider where does my right living come from? Where does my courage to do the right thing come from? Does it come from loud, boastful, prideful, fleshly experiences and desires? Or does it come from quiet, simple, trusting in his finished work, in his Holy Spirit? Do you see the vast difference between those two ways of living, two ways of Christian living? There are so many Christians that are living their life by the power of the flesh, where they want and they try and they dig and they, and they strive in the flesh. And then there's others who strive in the spirit, meaning they dive into his life. They wait patiently upon his faithfulness. They do it by trusting in the Holy Spirit and through simple prayer, not passionate prayer, simple, believing, hopeful thankful prayer. Self-sourced courage always disappoints, and it's a bummer because self-sourced courage is all over the place. I did a simple Google courage, and you would, I went through page after page after page of Google results, and every single one of them was talking about self-sourced courage, finding it in yourself, being the courageous person that you can be, and all these things. Not a single page that I saw was, real courage is trusting in Christ. No, it wasn't there. Real courage is quiet faith and dependence upon him. Nope, but that's the truth. But if Google didn't have it, I'm not sure that would surprise you, but... So, what's the right way to have courage? I just kind of talked about it. Well, let's observe our characters again. Let's dig into these characters and see what we can see. The women, first. What we see is they quietly followed Jesus. That's true courage. Quietly follow Jesus. They quietly served Jesus. They cared about his needs. They looked after his affairs. They took time to listen and observe his feelings and his teachings. We have several stories about Mary Magdalene always being at the feet of Jesus. In fact, every time she's mentioned in the gospel, she is at the feet of Jesus, listening, understanding, asking questions of him. They weren't, these women weren't called to be apostles, yet they followed him just the same. And in fact, even better than his apostles. The 12 disciples, these women followed him. They rejoiced to be near him. Even when it was difficult, even when it was impossible, they had what I would call an abiding relationship with him. They didn't have bold declarations that was not part of their relationship with Jesus. They quietly followed him. And the truth in this is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will strengthen those of us who will abide in Jesus. When we continue to look to him, 
when things are difficult, when we continue to look to him, when we alternatively could look to ourselves, but we choose to look to him. That is what these women are showing us about real courage. Now, our second character, Joseph of Arimathea. He was on the court of those who condemned Jesus to die. And it appears as though Joseph was silent. You know, he, he didn't stand up and say, you know, uh, give a dissenting opinion. But yet he had a silent, quiet hope in God and faith in God. He had a real faith in Jesus, even though he was weak and failed at times. He had courage to honor Jesus when no one else could, even though he had just failed and been weak and silent when he probably should have spoken up. His faith, look at this, at what we just read, his faith broke through his weakness because it was empowered by the Spirit. It was real, honest, genuine faith. So then he had the courage to ask Pilate for the body to honor Jesus and to serve him when none of his own disciples would. He found courage, but courage was planted in his heart because of the true, genuine, honest, simple, quiet faith that he had in Jesus. Faith in Jesus made him courageous. Our third character, the bonus character, Nicodemus, he was also a secret disciple of Jesus, a quiet disciple. He was not boastful. He was actually full of fear. He was, you know, he, he kind of failed in his, in his relationship with Jesus at times. He was afraid of what his friends and family and the nation would think of him because he was a teacher in Israel. He's the one who came to Jesus on the, in, at night in, in John chapter 3. We call it Nick at Night, you know, where he, he had this whole talk with him trying to figure him out. He wanted to figure out Jesus. And he really believed the responses Jesus gave. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and he really had faith in him, but it was a real struggle to overcome his fear of man. But now, at this most difficult time, Nicodemus went public with his faith in Jesus. He honored Jesus, and he said, I'm not going to stand for dishonoring him anymore. Even though it seemed like it was too late, he stood up with Joseph and said, I'm going to honor him. Why now? Why, why now does, jo does uh, Nicodemus get it? Because of Jesus' unrelenting love for him. He loved him when he came at night, and he loved him completely and fully as he died upon the cross, Nicodemus can no longer resist such powerful love that Jesus has given him. And so Nicodemus stands up and is called his follower and honors him. Seeing how Jesus loves his enemies and loves his friends and calls his enemies his friends is truly heart-changing. And that is the source of real courage, the love of Christ. When we quietly observe, receive the love of Christ, it builds and plants courage deep in our hearts. 
The love of Christ is not a yelling, forceful, um, rambunctious love. It is genuine, patient, gentlemanly love. He doesn't force anybody. He's not going to yell you into his family. He loves you. And he will patiently die on the cross and set you free from all your chains in that pure love that he offers. And so, what do all these characters have in common that we've looked at? The women, Joseph of and Nicodemus. Honestly, weakness and failure is the first thing I see that they have in common. Which is awesome, because that's what I would call myself if I was to be honest about my performance. And I think... Jesus does it this way so that we can see weakness and failure is no problem for him. He can plant courage in our hearts and he can use a weak person. He can use a person who has failed more than he can use someone who has it all together, someone who is a success or has the degrees or whatever. Jesus is looking for those who are weak and who have failed and that is great news for losers like us. Yay. The second thing I see is that these guys, these girls and guys, were quiet, they were simple, and they had faith. This is the difference between them and, and uh, what we see from the other disciples at this moment. They had a quiet faith, especially contrasting it with Peter. They had quiet faith in Jesus. Now let's apply this to courage. Courage is not bold efforts or bold ideas. When someone says, stand up and be courageous, that is not, when, when the Bible says be courageous, it is not about you sourcing courage from somewhere inside you. Courage is not sourced in myself. True courage is given freely to those who are weak and have failed on their own with their own efforts, with their own abilities. And instead, they have chosen to place their faith in Jesus instead of themselves. So someone who has learned that they cannot muster up enough courage to do all the right that God wants them to do to honor God, but instead looks to Jesus to provide that courage to them as a free gift of grace. God moves in their heart those who would who are failures, but those who will look to Christ in faith and in humility, and God will move in their heart to do his will. And that's real courage, doing the will of God as God has moved you to do his will. Strengthened you to do his will. It's all about his will. Real courage is the Holy Spirit at work in us to do God's will. So we're going to end, we're going to conclude with one little tiny discussion about his will. Real courage, godly courage, biblical courage, like we're talking about, is not to do your will. Will. Like, 
the person who told me, I just have to find the courage to divorce my spouse to marry this other person I'm having an affair with. That is not biblical courage because it is not God's will. How do you know it's not God's will? God hates divorce and God, it is not God's will. Now, many of us have been through divorce and we've found forgiveness and restoration through God, uh, but it was not courage. That's not godly courage. Some, I, I see people say, I just got to have the courage to, you know, commit to this relationship that's, that's completely ungodly or something like that. Or, cho- or courage. I need to find the courage to choose a lifestyle that dishonors God and is against God's will, a lifestyle that's fleshly and not holy, but directly sinful. That's not true courage either. That's courage that's from you, and it dishonors God. Real courage is God moving in your heart to do His will. God strengthening your inner life to do His will. So here's the big question for you. Are you ready to abandon your self-will? Another way to say that is, are you ready to give up on all your dreams? Are you ready to lay down everything you want out of life and in life for what God wants? That's the big question because most people are not willing to give up their will for God's will. And so God does not provide them with courage because they don't want it. They don't even want to let go of their own plans for God's, their own will for God's Will God's will is very clear. It is not difficult to find out what God's will for your life is. God's will is very clear in Scripture. He wants you to live a quiet, holy, righteous life. He wants you to serve Him by serving those people who God places in your life, your family, your friends, your church family, your co-workers. He wants you to love and serve them all. His will is not hard to figure out. But many times we don't care about His will because we're too absorbed with our own will. But if you are ready to renounce your own will, your self-will, if you're ready, then God will grant you courage, real biblical courage and answer your prayers even i mean this is crazy when you have no self-will you're not going to be praying god give me a million dollars in a lamborghini because those are self selfish things but instead we're going to have a god-centered prayer life and god loves and delights to answer the prayers that are about his kingdom in fact he promises to answer every single one of your prayers in this way. George Mueller, my favorite English, Prussian, German immigrant to England, orphanage founder. George Mueller said, 
when someone asked him, why does God answer all your prayers? What is the secret to really having a relationship with God where he can answer all your prayers? This is what George Mueller said. The secret, the first thing is very simple. You need to have no will of your own. But your entire life must be surrendered to God's will. No, so if you're praying about, you know, a uh, relationship, let's say you're a single and you want to get married and you're praying about that relationship, the real key to having God answer your prayers is to surrender your will completely to God's will. Say, God, what is your will for my marriage if I were to have one? Oh, it would be to, for me to be a servant and to be kind and to be patient and to serve my spouse for the rest of my life. That is a wonderful prayer to pray. When you pray, God, okay, now I understand your will because I read scripture and I've understood it. And now I pray that you would give me someone who I could serve for my whole life. Someone that I could care for and take care of. That is so much different from the prayer of, God, you know, give me someone that's going to make me happy. Self. Self-centered. Self-will. Versus God's will, which is service, small, quiet, patient. That's how, that's how this works. George Mueller said, you need to simply have no will of your own concerning any issue that you pray about. And then when you ask, only ask for his will to be done. Ask that he would reveal his will and that you could do his will, that he would strengthen you to do his will. And God will not, and in fact, he cannot ignore such a beautifully surrendered prayer. We are called, as a church, we're called White Flag Calvary. And, and that just goes together so beautifully with what we've talked about today. White Flag means surrender. And God is looking for those who would surrender it takes courage to surrender, and then God grants you a internal courage to do what's right, to do his will above our own. You know, I was, as we close, I was talking one day with a pastor, and I, I really liked this guy, and I was talking to him about the philosophy of ministry, and we were talking about, I was talking about that word surrender, because I said our, our church is called White Flag Calvary, and we were talking about surrender. And he's like, yeah, I get that, I get that. And, and he asked me a really interesting question. He said, okay, why do you use the term of surrender instead of a term like enlist? Enlist like in God's army and, and you're going to enlist. And uh, I, I got to be honest, I didn't, I didn't understand the depths of that question as I, as I was sitting there talking with him. But we talked about it for a while. But as I've kept that question in my mind, I think... This is the answer. This is the reason why we don't call ourselves, you know, join the Lord's army, join the Lord's, you know, the Lord's looking for you, you know, to, to serve him and to, to come after and follow him. Uh, but we actually call it white flag, which is more surrender. We need to surrender to him. And the reason is, is because when we say something like enlist or the Lord needs you, we, in a weakness of our flesh, we always think, yeah, the Lord needs me. 
The Lord needs me. I could do so many great things for God. And his kingdom is just, you know, teetering on the balance. And it needs me to be the last straw that that brings victory for God in this world. And what that leads to is self-importance, self, you know, everything that we've talked about today that we saw in Peter's life. That's what an enlisting type attitude brings. Whereas a surrender attitude is, I'm not the strong one, you're the strong one. I'm not the victor, you're the victor. I am not the great warrior, you are. In fact, I am your prisoner. I am your slave, if you would have me. And that's the humble surrender attitude that God is looking for. And that's why we're called white flag. So a simple point to close us off with. Let's go ahead and end in prayer. And then we'll have a Zoom meeting afterwards if you want to join us. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd help us to surrender our will to yours in every way. God, I pray that we would see that your will is perfect and our will is flawed. That you know the future, you know what's best. And God, what is best for us is to surrender our lives fully and completely to you. I pray that we would have a quiet, humble faith and that you would help us to have courage when trials come, that the courage that you've planted in us to do your will, God, that that courage, that Holy Spirit obedience would be seen in our lives because not because we've whipped ourselves into a frenzy or not because of an emotional commitment to you, but God, because of a real spiritual life through abiding in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray with great confidence we ask. Amen. All right, love you guys. We'll see you all soon.